So back last March, when things were shut down, and then we were moving into April and May, and, and there was a lot of chaos, and it, it was discouraging. It was very different for us because um, just we had to pivot so quickly and um, go online and do our services. And, uh, and, and it wasn't easy, and, and there, was, there was a part of that that was really discouraging. And so as we were um, kind of navigating that time period, um, I can't remember when, but there was a question that started coming to mind. And it's a question that I've been asking leaders um, and, and that it's been so encouraging to me. But how do you bring the best of who you are to the pressing needs of the world? How do you bring the best of who you are to the pressing needs of the world? And when I wake up, at some time in the morning, I begin asking myself that question. Um, how do you bring the best of who you are, Brian, to the pressing needs of the world? And when I bungle things up, I say, no, not that. How do you bring the best of who you are. Because I'm just so convinced right now that that's an important question. And, uh, and so I've been asking it to um, leaders that I've been working with. I probably asked that question to 50 different leaders. And for some of them, multiple times, how are you bringing the best of who you are to the pressing needs of the world? And then even in the things that I'm reading, it's, it's, it's almost like as, as God is kind of encouraging that question in my own life as I think about what that looks like. And, and it doesn't have to be, it, it's like, how do you bring the best of who you are to, um, to your time at a restaurant or, or to your workplace or, or to your house, even as you're just doing the things around the house, your workplace, whatever it is. Because I, I just believe that God shows up in those normal, everyday things. In fact, I believe that God shows up in the monotony more often than he shows up in the miracles. And that there's a lot of miracles in the monotony that we miss because we're not paying attention. So even in my reading, um, this, this, this question has been nurtured, and, and I keep getting encouraged by it. And the thing that I'm reading the most recently is a book by Bob Buford, his book, Halftime. He wrote it by, um, after achieving an incredible amount of success, and his, his company had gone from a couple of TV stations to a massive cable TV network. He had more money than he needed. He was well-known in the world of business. The success was there, but he wasn't satisfied. And so he was, he was kind of pushing into, hey, what, what would God have for me? And he wanted more than success. And the way that he put it is, is I want significance at this time in my life. And he was just about ready to sell his business, to liquidate his business. And he met with Dr. James Dobson and one of the other, I forget the other leader, um, very well-known Christian leader in the company. And both of those guys said, do not sell your business. No one will answer the phone when you call. But instead, use your influence right now in order to make a difference in the lives of others. And so hand over the, uh, whatever you can, the details of the business to other people, and you focus on what God has for you right now. And that year, he decided to invest in leaders across the country and hit through his influence, literally through his money, he invested in over 30,000 leaders in the next year. And that's turned into hundreds of thousands of leaders since then including the staff of this church, is even though he's passed away, the money that he set aside through the Halftime Foundation is now funding leadership initiatives and church planting and discipleship and all kinds of stuff still today. And we've received the benefit of that. Um, it's just, it's just um, powerful. Bob says that there was a stirring 
in what he calls the heart's holiest chamber. The heart's holiest chamber, he says, reminds us that we're spiritual beings with a divine purpose and that we are miraculously and wonderfully made. He asked a friend to help him with a personal strategic plan. I mentioned that last week. The friend was an atheist, but the friend helped him anyway. And, uh, and the friend had helped Bob do this many times in his business, but he had never done one for himself. And after sharing what was going on with his friend, his friend said, Bob, you have to make a decision on what comes first. It's either money or it's Jesus, but it can't be both. And Bob thought about it for a few minutes, and then he said, well, if, if it has to be one or the other, then it has to be Jesus. And Bob writes, it was an act of faith, a daunting challenge, a commitment to do something about the faith that I already had. And in order for Jesus to be fully in charge, Bob had to decide that Jesus would move from being his primary loyalty to being his exclusive loyalty. And he began to turn down extremely lucrative deals. And he gave his, the primary control of his company over to others, and he decided to invest the rest of his life in ministry leaders. And he had all kinds of one-liners, and I've been writing them down. In fact, I'm, I'm taking quotes, and I'm going to hang them on my wall because uh, I do that kind of thing. I, I love the one-liners. My fruit grows on other people's trees. I am a catapult. You are the plane. I serve God by serving others. And when Bob made that decision, he knew that Jesus couldn't just be in that primary place, that he had to be in that exclusive place. So this week I kept on reading, and the next chapter was heartbreaking. We all know that there's going to be storms in life. We just don't expect them when, we come, when they come. And, you know, after making a commitment like that, one would expect this is that, you know, it'd be exciting and free sailing. But no, a storm came. Shortly after making the decision about the one thing, a massive storm came. His son Ross drowned while swimming the Rio Grande. His only son the one who was going to be his successor. He was 24 years old. He had just graduated from college. He had just finished his first year as an investment baker. Made $150,000 that year. Was on track to make much, much more the next year. And was one day going to take over the business. Ross was a committed Christian. A few weeks after he died, they found a will that had been written a year earlier. It was on his desk. It ended with, if you're reading this, then I have died. I love you all and I thank you. You've made this a great life. Make sure you go up instead of down and I'll be waiting at heaven's gate. Just look for the guy in the old khakis, Stetson, a faded shirt, wearing a pair of Ray-Bans with a Jack Nicholson smile. Storms often destroy people's faith. They cause us to question God and to question evil, brokenness, pain, sin, just about everything. Jesus indicated in his parable about the man building a house 
on sand and the other one building a house on rock, that storms will come. It's called the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts, and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail, because it had its foundation on the rock. What are you building your life on? Foundations are really important. Hey, Kyle, I didn't tell you this, but I put a video in there of a building. Um, this is a 15-second building. It probably won't show up on the live stream for people that are watching the live stream, um, maybe. But I, I want to show you this. This is the John Hancock building. Uh, we're inside of it, and so you can't see the actual building. That's in Chicago, and that's Lake Michigan that you can see right there. And when this building was built, it was a one-of-a-kind one of building. I mean, this building literally, um, it, it literally became the building that became the pattern for skyscrapers that could be bigger than this one. Is At the peak of its construction, over 2,000 people worked on the project, which required some 5 million work hours to complete. Enough steel was used in the frame alone to make 33,000 cars. Each of the four corner columns weighs about 100 tons each. Every day, the building's 1,250 miles of wiring can power a town the size of 30,000 people. But the most significant part of the John Hancock Center is not its unique design, nor the innovative construction methods that were developed to bring the project to completion, nor the massive amount of resources that it requires. The most significant aspect of the building is its immense foundation. Because of where it's built, it's literally built on the shore of Lake Michigan. And that presents problems for building because you're building on, on, on some ground that you really got to think about how you're building that foundation. And so the building engineers had to sink massive cassons into 10-foot holes drilled 190 feet into the bedrock. Without a solid foundation, all of the work of the building this impressive structure, and it's really uh, amazing, is, is they actually have some windows at the top of the building, um, and you can go and you can kind of lean against the building, and then they tilt you out over the city. And Kim and Levi really needed that experience. <laughs> and so I encourage them to do that. Um, it, it's really impressive. But the designers took no chances they understood that a structure is only as good as its foundation. The same thing is true when it comes to our lives. The foundation makes a difference. Bob Buford, when I was reading the book this week, the chapter, the first chapter that I came to after last Sunday was called Adios Ross. And I kept on thinking, what a terrible, hard loss to lose a child. And when he lost his only son, I kept on thinking his foundation helped him keep his eyes on God. Bob wrote, as horrifying and as sad as Ross's death was, 
there were moments of rare insight and grand gestures of immeasurable grace and joy. One letter in particular brought together the awful and the wonderful. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Buford, Ross and I were best friends. All that he had, Ross shared with me. He shared his thoughts and ideas, his pleasures and his pains. He shared a whole lot of laughter, but most of all, he shared his love. Well, now Ross is with his new best friend. And now Ross... just as before, continues to share. Today, Ross is sharing his new best friend, Jesus, with his old best friend. I thank the Lord God for Ross, and I thank Ross for the Lord God. Signed, Ronnie. Bob said, in reality, a reality that the world needs to see, Christ meets us and works with us in the confusion. In the valley of the shadow of death, in the tunnel of chaos, when the familiar landmarks have disappeared. Most people want a neat, rational religion. But God shows up in the extremes of order and confusion, the known and the unknown. And somehow, we need to learn to walk with Jesus in the paradoxes of life. Bob writes, the closer I stayed to my center, Jesus, the more accepting I became of the tension that there is in life. Bob, having already decided to focus, that the focus and the foundation of his life would be Jesus, spoke in a church two weeks after Ross died and During the service, prayed, God, you have given my life into my hands, and I give it back to you. My time, my property, my life itself, knowing that it only is an instant compared to my life with you and with Ross in eternity. Right now, I'm on a series that I'm calling Walking with Jesus. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In the same way is literally translated as. And it's amazing because those two little letters, that one word, as, is so powerful when we think about it. To walk as Jesus walked, in the same way that Jesus walked. And in order for us to walk as Jesus walked, we need to know what were the foundational priorities of Jesus' life. And then how do we have those same foundational priorities in our life? Last week, I talked about having the heart of Jesus and the habits of Jesus, big overarching principles. This week, I want to talk about one of the foundational principles of Jesus' life, and it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then in coming weeks, I want to take the acronym POWER and use it as a guide. The P is prayerful guidance. All of these we see in Jesus' life. The second is his obedient living. Word-centered. 
exalting the Father, and relationally intentional. The foundational principles, these foundational principles will help us understand how Jesus lived and walked so that we can think about how this works in our own lives. The foundation, while unseen, is what sustains everything else in life. And so let's talk about Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to go really fast. There's a lot of verses in here, and I'm not going to read all of them, but there's a lot of um, verses that I refer to. Every aspect of Jesus' life was saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ's birth was the work of the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.35. It was revealed to John the Baptist that God, that God, um, by God, it was revealed to him by God that the one on whom the Holy Spirit would descend and remain is the revealed Son of God. And so Jesus at his baptism was revealed to the be the one on whom the Holy Spirit would rest, John 1, 30 and 33. Immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Luke is emphatic that when Jesus entered into the wilderness, that he entered full of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, 1. And he came out of the desert and returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, 14. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, Luke 4, 18 and Acts 10, 38. He was sent by the Spirit. He did miracles in the Spirit, Matthew 12, 28. He preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, Luke 10, 21. He gave instruction through the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-2. John's gospel tells us that he received the seal of the Father's approval, which is a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible makes it clear that after Jesus gave his life on the cross, he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8-11. A.W. Tozer says this, the idea of the Spirit by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. In fact, the Holy Spirit is often referred to by Christians as being it. But the Holy Spirit isn't a force or a power. The Holy Spirit is the person of God at work in our lives. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5.18 about us having the presence of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I had another A.W. Tozer quote, and, uh, and I, I forgot to put it in, but it essentially says this, is, is if people are not filled with the Holy Spirit, they will be filled with the things of the flesh. And we're told to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry, his very life was inaugurated by the Holy Spirit when the angel appeared to Mary and said, you will bear God's son. She said, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And in Luke 1.35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Scripture clearly tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit throughout his life. In Luke 4, 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. 
Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't even know God. We can know of God, but we can't really know God. Paul says that no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God, and that it's by His Spirit that we can know His thoughts also. In fact, Scripture tells us is, is that we can't, even, we can't even come to God because there's a veil over our eyes, and so we can't see God clearly. Again, we can see things about God. We can, we can read the Bible and have a basic understanding, but we can't really see God as, as, as being the one whom we need unless the Holy Spirit takes the veil off of our eyes. And so even the act of coming to Christ is something that is God-initiated when he makes it possible for us to believe. We can't even believe apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, it tells us that, that there's such a difference between what we get in the world and what we get from the Spirit of God. And Paul says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The Spirit's essential for our growth as we walk with God. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus told the disciples that the Spirit would guide them in all truth. Earlier, I referred to um, the verse in 1 John that tells us that we are to walk as Jesus walked. Boy, that as. So much more powerful than we might think. Walk as Jesus walked in the same way. How is that even possible? Jesus used the word as on other occasions in John 13, 34. He told the disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. How is it even possible? Along with that command, Jesus suggests how it's possible to do as he has done. In John 14, Jesus meets with the disciples and he tells them, I am going to prepare a place for you. So that you can be with me where I am. And the disciples are a little bit confused. And they say, where are you going? And Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he's, he's telling them, I am going away. But then he says, but don't be troubled. Obviously, they were troubled because of what he had just said. But he says, don't be troubled. It is good that I am going. And he says that he intends to give them another counselor. The word counselor, parakaleo in the Greek, means the one who comes alongside. It can also mean helper or advocate. 
This is so important that Jesus repeats himself. In John 15, 26, he says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In other places, he will guide you. He will speak to you. He'll show you truth. That word another, that I will give you another counselor. In John 14, 16, it's the Greek word alos, which means another of the exact same kind. The Greek word heteros means of another kind or a different kind. And so he's saying is, is that I'm going to give you a counselor that's of the same as me. Another counselor. So Jesus had been their counselor. He had been their advocate, their helper. And he's saying, it's good that I'm going because I'm going to give you another of the same as me. Otherwise, as the Holy Spirit is present right now and will guide us and grow us and give us strength as we walk as Jesus walked. The Holy Spirit is mentioned over 50 times in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was to the early church and is to us what Jesus was to the twelve. One of my professors wrote a book called God's Empowering Presence. Gordon Fee, he was a kick. When I found out that he wrote this, I ordered it. When I found out it was 900 pages, I didn't read it. <laughs> so I've read um, parts of it. Um, but this is, he's writing just about the work of the Holy Spirit in the letters of the Apostle Paul. 900 pages about the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Gordon says. Gordon Fee writes, Despite the lip service that is often paid to the Holy Spirit in our occasional conversations, the Spirit is largely marginalized in the actual life of our community. Gordon writes, Though that we are all longing for a greater sense of God's presence in our lives. And then he says, Jesus is clear. That presence is the Holy Spirit. And Gordon goes on to say, we are not left on our own as far as our relationship with God is concerned. Neither are we left on our own to slug it out in the trenches of life, as it were. Life in the present present is empowered by God who dwells among us and in us. And the personal presence of God, the Spirit, is not some force or influence. The living God is a God of power. And by, the, and by the Spirit, the power of the living God is present with us and for us right now. I don't think we understand fully the consequences of this. Is that God is at work right now in spite of the chaos that we see? that God's present and that he is here for each one of us and that he can speak to us and that he does speak to us if only we will listen. And we can be distracted about everything that's going on right now in culture, in politics, and in our world. 
But we should not be despondent and we should not be as worried as what we are right now. But instead, we should be saying is, is Lord, you're at work and I want you to work in my life and I want to hear your voice and I want to, I want to know what you're up to every day. And it's amazing because when we read the book of Acts, this is what we see in the lives of the early churches is that they were looking for God and they were listening to God and they were hearing his voice. And as I'm reading through the Bible again this year is, is I, 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 I in, um, reading in the book of Acts right now, and, and I come to that point in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are, are sharing Christ, and, and uh, as they're sharing Christ, they get arrested and beaten and thrown in jail. And it says that while they're in jail, they're praising God and singing hymns. And everyone else in jail, the jail is listening. And by the power of God, God opens the prison doors. And the jailer comes and the jailer is going to fall on his sword and kill himself because he knows what's coming if, if people get away. And they say, no, don't do that. We're all here. And he begins to ask questions. And as he's asking questions, he comes to faith in Christ. And it says that he and his whole house were baptized. And it's just this incredible story. And I'm thinking is, is wow, what would cause them to be praising God and singing after such a terrible thing? And we get all up in arms about so many things. And you know, they, they looked at everything in life as an opportunity to walk as Jesus walked and to live in the power of the presence of God. In Acts chapter 15, we're told that they were talking about what God was doing and, and these Gentiles were coming to Christ and, and, and these Gentiles were experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, wow, this is mind-blowing. Is we thought that this was for us only, the Jews. But the power of God is, is, is just showing up everywhere and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so they get together and they talk about it. And as they're talking about it, they're saying is, is it's obvious that God is working and that he has no boundaries. And so they're meeting with the Gentiles. And here's what, here's what they said is, is it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with basically the same requirements that we as Jews have lived under. I, I love this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The world desperately needs men and women who are listening to God so intently who are praying so significantly that we can literally say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And they're talking about the everyday things of life. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You know, right now, 
it's such a pivotal time for us to be praying and saying, is, is, hey, Lord, what would you, would you want to do today? What would you want to say today? What would you want to do as I'm, as I'm doing housework, as I'm, as I'm working in the community, as I'm, as I'm living life among my friends and my family, as I'm praying for my country, which just seems to be going off the rails, as, as we're looking at the amount of conflict that there is, is, Lord, what would you have? First, where I can actually have impact right here in, in my community, what would you have me do, Lord? And to get such a sense of what he would have us do. And I don't think that it's going to be as big as we think. It might just be treating the people around us with respect as made in the image of God people. And it might be bigger than that. But, but right now, if the church were really listening to God, there would be a ripple effect of some kind. But what would it look like to be so dependent on the Holy Spirit as as the foundation of our lives so that we could walk as Jesus walked and we could be praying and we can say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me, to us. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, Father, I think about Elijah, so discouraged. After you'd showed up marvelously and miraculously, is, is, that, is that there's all of the prophets of Baal, and there's this, he's on the mountain, and, and there's this huge victory that you have over the false idols of this world. But then he ends up running for his life and he's hiding in a cave and saying, God, why did you even create me? And it says that there was a storm, but you weren't in the storm. And there was wind, but you weren't in the wind. But then there was the quiet. And that in the quiet, your still small voice showed up and you spoke to him and said, why are you so wound up and afraid. And Father, I think we need to hear the still small voice right now. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that you are present right now and that we have your presence and your power and your spirit that work in our lives if we will but listen, pray, depend on you. And Lord, that when we bungle things up, that we can come back and say, Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, help me to walk as Jesus walked. When I'm at home with my family, when I'm working, when I'm worried, and when I'm joyful, be with me in all of these things. Lord, we thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.